0: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Friday, January the 24th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football, and on today's show, we have a 3,000-word Senior Bowl recap to cover from LockedOnDolphins.com which players moved up on Miami's board in a position-by-position review plus a slight reprieve on Justin Herbert but why he ultimately still scares the absolute hell out of me another Barry Jackson bomb with some great notes about Miami's offseason ahead Chris Greer's media availability takeaways and a seven-round Miami Dolphins mock 1.0 busy, busy show here but first before any of that I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, lockedondolphins.com for all your daily written content needs on your Miami Dolphins. And so we start with the Wednesday availability of Chris Greer, who spoke to the Dolphins beat writers and South Florida media alike. And there were three takeaways that I found kind of intriguing from that segment, which really normally doesn't give you a whole lot of sound bites, but we can speculate by reading between the lines of some of the things that he said. And up first, and Barry Jackson corroborates this in his story, which we'll cover here in just one second, Daniel Kilgore Greer pretty much said they have to upgrade that position. He talked a lot about Daniel Kilgore's leadership presence and how much that team last year needed that, but wouldn't go as far as to commit to him in the future. And I think that note about last year's team requiring that leadership because of how tough of a season it was going to be was a note that they have to get better at the center position next season. Another spot they have to get better at, and we know they will, is the quarterback room. He spoke about the value of the Josh Rosen trade at the time, and also when asked about Rosen's future here, he said Josh is here today and again was non-committal on his future and spoke about the opportunity to seize a good value they thought at the time, but maybe that value now has gone in the opposite direction. He talked a lot about young players, the young roster, and how many draft picks they have to make this team younger, and really emphasized the importance of getting good teachers as coaches to develop all all these young players they're going to have in the system next year because they were already one of the youngest teams. And now with 14 draft picks in tow, assuming the two compensatory picks come the Dolphins way, they could be adding a whole bunch more rookies and unproven players that need tutelage and need veteran presence. And to that point, with regards to all the draft picks they could use to get those rookies, he was also asked about trading up. And he basically just had the same thing he said all year long. We have more than enough ammo, he said, to go up and get whatever player we see necessary. Now, I want to turn over to the Barry Jackson piece on the Miami Herald it's titled Dolphins have more time to make decisions on three key veterans where things stand again MiamiHerald.com to find that and first I want to talk about the incumbents the Dolphins were impressed by starting with cornerback Tay Hayes who got some work down the stretch both on the outside and inside in the slot I kind of praised his play late in the season And so he impressed both me and the Dolphins, so I guess we have that in common. Look for Tay Hayes to make a splash this August in training camp. Another player the Dolphins were impressed by was Isaiah Ford. Brian Flores personally thanked Ford for his work down the stretch in one game in particular, helping getting players lined up as they funneled through all those new pieces and parts as the injuries continued to mount throughout the season. Barry also mentions that Ford did as much as any player to help himself in those final weeks of the season. And Ford's biggest competition for work could be on the outs unless he agrees to a restructured deal. Barry Jackson reports that Miami will approach Albert Wilson about reworking his contract. Cutting Wilson puts Miami on the hook for $1.3 million in dead money, but it also saves $9.5 million against the cap. I tend to think they'll find a way to get a deal done. Wilson is a local guy that never really got a chance to truly show his hometown exactly what he can do outside of those few games before his injury, but the positive on all this is about Miami's bad contracts, as Barry writes, is the flexibility of the deadline of those deals, or I guess lack thereof a deadline. Miami can wait all the way up until week one for decisions on Wilson's contract, Rashad Jones, and Daniel Kilgore, and that will allow them to carry those players into training camp if they so choose to do so, just in case one of the young players or free agent additions at those spots that are in there to take their jobs doesn't live up to their end of the bargain, and Miami can go back into the season with starters at those spots and feel good about it at receiver, safety, and center, respectively. Barry also mentions that Bobby McCain can move back to the nickel position and losing Jones as well would essentially mean the team doesn't have a safety outside of Eric Rowe you can talk about Adrian Colbert and Steven Parker but I want to do better than that if I'm the Dolphins as for Kilgore as I mentioned in the Greer comments it just sounds like his veteran presence was the only thing about him the Dolphins liked last season and the tape to me backs that up you just got to get better at that position and that's not the only spot Miami knows it has to upgrade on the offensive line as Barry reports that the Dolphins are likely to add four offensive linemen and to do so with the intention that all of those guys are starting quality, which means a lot of these resources Miami built up, and especially with the quarterback coming into town, as we all assume. Todd McShea even says in that article, in a side quote, that he would be very shocked if anybody besides Tua, Justin Herbert, or Jordan Love was the Dolphins' first draft pick. With that fifth pick or a trade-up or below, he thinks their first pick will be a quarterback. And so back to Barry's point, it makes a bunch of sense to rebuild this offensive line and do the exact opposite of what you did for Ryan Tannehill for the new rookie quarterback and give him a fighting chance behind a competent offensive line. The team has not made a proclamation about Jesse Davis and what position he's going to play, although the option of kicking him back inside to guard is still on the table, but it is safe to assume that he is at least going to be one of the starters in that group, whether it's right tackle, right guard, or something. Someone else, But we'll talk more about the offensive lineman in segment number two. Then there was some quarterback talk in there, but just about how Miami met with both Justin Herbert as well as Utah State quarterback Jordan Love and Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald says the Dolphins were impressed by Love at the conclusion of that meeting. And on the topic of those quarterbacks, let's go ahead and dive into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com and talk about Justin Herbert and Jordan Love in the Senior Bowl Practices Takeaways for your 2020 Miami Dolphins. Of course, viewing all of this through a Miami Dolphins lens, we'll get to the rest of the positions on the other side. Let's go ahead and stay on that quarterback train here. And first of all, kudos to Jim Nagy, the Senior Bowl Director, for getting first-round quarterbacks down there every single year. It didn't used to be like that, so that's awesome. I think both these guys wind up in the top 15 by the time we get to the the draft in April. The ball just jumps off their hands. They were the only ones that could consistently cut through the wind down there with tight spirals and it showed you an easy separation between the big arm guys and the guys that had more pop gum arms. The most intriguing part to me about Jordan Love's week was an interview he did on the Move the Sticks podcast when he was asked about the dip in production. He alluded to coaching staff changes and losing nine starters on the offense and described the season as a grind and it wasn't up until the very end of the season that things began to click for the offense and. And to me, those words spoke volumes, but the tone to me was indicative of a player that was frustrated by his situation all year. And why wouldn't he be? But I'm still going to bang the table for Jordan Love. I believe his best football is ahead of him. I believe the 2018 season is a better representation of his skill set. He, to me, remains option B for the Dolphins quarterback situation if they cannot find a way to get to a tonga And of course, it'll take the fifth pick to do it. Now, Justin Herbert, I want to get to a reprieve of sorts, but not really a reprieve here. Something that I just want to get off my chest. I should be more appreciative of Justin Herbert's skill set because when I say he reminds me of Ryan Tannehill, I always focus on the downside of that comparison, but not the intriguing qualities. I wrote an article back in 2016 that stated, quote, if a coach can't figure out how to win with Tannehill, then maybe he's just not a good coach, end quote. And the reason for that statement came from the multiple ways in which Tannehill can beat a defense. He opens up the zone read game. He's deadly on boots and naked rolls. He's a big arm quarterback that can dice up the defense on every throw within the structure and make the occasional wow play outside the structure. And that is Justin Herbert in a nutshell. But the Oregon product is also saddled with similar red flags as the former Texas A&M Aggie, And I'm an ex-lover scorned in this situation, man. I'm terrified of getting hurt the exact same way. There is a true lack of urgency in both of their games. Watch the way both these quarterbacks operate when time is of the essence and watch the lack of consistency in their mechanics and the trust in what they see when it is do or die time. Both Herbert and Tannehill are heavy-legged with a slow internal clock under duress and man, that is the deadliest combination in the most condemning way imaginable. Ultimately, if the coaching staff determines that Justin Herbert was the guy they covet and for the reasons I mentioned, then let's go, baby, go get him. I trust this iteration of the Dolphins-Brass to make it work, especially a staff that knows how to cater to the strengths of its own players. With Herbert, Miami could justify making a run at Derrick Henry, who would be the perfect complementary type to Justin Herbert like he was to Ryan Tannehill. So while Herbert impressed in the all-star game practices, to me, that's merely a small piece of the puzzle. Another piece, a much larger piece of that puzzle, are the big moments in the big games when Herbert continuously came up small in college. To me, that matters, and it will anchor the evaluation I have on Herbert regardless of how he performs from now up to the run-up to the draft. And if you've got something anchoring your ability to perform when it comes to that time in the bedroom, you got to check out BlueChew.com. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better. Cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We talk quarterbacks to end the first segment here on the Friday edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. Make sure you guys check out Sunday night slash Monday's podcast where I talk to Kyle Krabs, the senior draft analyst at the Draft Network and big Miami Dolphins fan. You guys will not want to miss that. But let's go ahead now and turn back to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And I skipped the lead talking about the quarterback position. And I wanted to make it a point to really document the advantageous position the Dolphins are in with regards to their Barron roster. And I know, Travis, you're being a homer, you're really simplifying things to try to make the Dolphins sound better than they are. And maybe there's a little bit of that here, but I always like to try to find the upshot of certain things. And I believe there are two upshots to having this position the Dolphins are in, especially in comparison to those folks, those teams, I should say, that are close to Miami in that top five, top 10 range. And number one is the benefit of a true best player available approach. Every team preaches that mentality, but few actually practice that, what they preach in that regard. Last year, the Jaguars were the beneficiaries of the Raiders making a curious decision on Cleland Furrell, passing on Josh Allen, which then of course put the Giants on the clock and they did the same thing by going after a quarterback, which got the Jaguars a 10 and a half sack rookie defensive end in Josh Allen. Then they come back in round two and Jawan Taylor, who slipped because of medical concerns, played every single snap for them at right tackle. So Miami can execute BPA, not just because, the current makeup of the roster, but also the quantity of draft picks they have in their possession, and that provides us a good segue into point number two, the simplification of targeting scheme fits. The Patriots and Lions run identical defensive systems to Miami and have shown a proclivity for taking players higher than their perceived draft stock would suggest by the national media and like, but it's not just the scheme that curates this philosophy. The Seahawks do it all the time. The Eagles have done it. The Ravens and Steelers have done it, and these two points are critical this week because the Senior Bowl's draft production is not only at an all-time high in terms of getting players into the league, but the efficacy of those players that shine in Mobile, then go into the league's biggest stage like Debo Samuel, Dre Greenlaw, and Fred Warner, all guys that played the Senior Bowl the last two years on San Francisco's Super Bowl roster, and having a major impact on that roster, it just proves that you can find major impact players that play in this Senior Bowl game, and you can find them in the middle rounds of the draft as well. So several of these players stand a great chance to don the aqua and orange because of the mere fact that Miami have so many picks, with a presumed 7 in the top 100 after compensatory picks, and the Dolphins can completely restore the foundation of this team under Brian Flores. No pressure, fellas, but this is the year to get it done. We'll pass over the quarterbacks. We already talked about those guys. But as for the running backs, there really just aren't that many guys in this game that pop the tape for me. I didn't put Eno Benjamin in here, but I do like his game. We go back to the Pac-12 with Joshua Kelly, who was just ripping up lanes and getting into the second level as quick as any back that played this week. I think he really pairs strong burst with good vision to alter the angles of defensive tacklers, and he doesn't stop his feet to find those cutback lanes so he can work the backside and zone schemes and wide zones. Accordingly, he also won a bunch of one-on-one pass catching drills as well. LaMichael Rhyme. Similar in his ability to press the hole and find that wind back lane in those wide zone concepts, he is also a physical runner that finishes going forward, and Antonio Gibson more of a change of pace guy, but he's intriguing. We talked about him on the podcast the other day, 38 carries, 33 catches, but is he a master of none? Can you find a spot for him where he's great on the offense? Because versatility does nothing if you're just average at everything. At the wide receiver position, we could frankly spend a whole podcast on this group because these guys are getting the job done, and the Dolphins don't need receivers, but man, they are growing on trees in this draft class. I firmly believe you can get a contributor late on day three in this draft class, and the ones that are elite in this class are not in Mobile, but there are plenty of good guys to go around, like KJ Hill, for instance, who is just the next Ohio State receiver to show a penchant for great route running. Coached up by Brian Hartline, he's twitched up, uses his hands extremely well to keep his frame clear and always wins immediately off the line almost always I saw him compared to Emmanuel Sanders by somebody on Twitter and you guys know how I feel about Sanders I love that comp just a smooth technician with good explosiveness and reliable hands And then you have Van Jefferson, who's just as reliable as a route runner. He put on a clinic all week, knows exactly how to attack leverage, and then go to work on the defender's blind spot. Again, another day three option, I think, here, because of the depth of the receiver class. And he could be a guy you fill in for Preston Williams until he is fully healthy from that ACL injury he had back in October. Denzel Mims is a total anomaly. Big, strong, plucks the ball away from his frame and has a unique sense of body control and field awareness when he works the perimeter and end lines. Chase Claypool won all week at the line of scrimmage. Courtney Davis is a physical technician that can box out. Devin Duvernay has that track speed and pairs that with the best yard after catch numbers in the country. And Michael Pittman is a crafty player that can alter his releases, his tempo, and moves at the top of the route. And then you have SMU's James Prochet, who I thought has the look of an effective slot right away. A lot of wiggle off the line of scrimmage and good hands as well, just like K.J. Hill. It's too bad Brandon Ayuk did not participate. He's the best of the bunch. I still think Miami should go after this position on day three with at least one if not two picks, even though the position for the Dolphins is already a strength. Now, a position that could use some reinforcements is the tight end group. Adam Troutman entered the week with buzz, and now he enters the game on Saturday with a legit shot of hearing his name called on Friday night of the draft. He's huge, he's athletic, and surprisingly polished in his route running for a player who is new to the position. Bryson Hopkins is not new to the position, and it shows in his route running. He's going to catch a lot of touchdowns for somebody and serve as a great cover two seam buster, but LSU Steven Sullivan, I thought, made the biggest jump all week. He was actually consistent as an inline blocker, which is a major feather in his cap since he played college ball or entered college ball as a wide receiver. Now, the offensive line where we have to really focus this offseason, I think it's going to be all about the quarterback and O-line on the offensive side of the football. And Josh Jones must have seen the Todd McShay 209th overall player ranking because he came out like a man possessed on Thursday and had one of the best days of any offensive lineman. He entered this season with some questions about his technical prowess, but you wouldn't know it from the work of week of work he had down in Mobile. He was the talk of practice, and he showed exceptional mirror ability and greatly improved handwork as well. He's not going to replicate Laramie Tunzel's typewriter feat. That's impossible to do, but he is a good consolation in that regard. He is a heck of an athlete at the left tackle position. Two tackles that I don't know much about, so I won't talk about them, but I heard they had great weeks. Texas Tech's Terrence Steele and Connecticut's Matt Pert. Now Lloyd Cushenberry moving to the inside. This dude's a first-round prospect, probably OC1 after this week what a monster he is his hands touch his knees for an upright position with an 83 inch wingspan he plays low with incredible strength to execute reach blocks and scoop blocks and anchor and pass protection as well he's the only guy that consistently handled Javon Kinlaw all week and we'll get off the center train here for just one second to talk about Cushenberry's teammate and Damian Lewis he takes the best angles to get to the second level which means he is a good looking run blocker shows a good low pad level just like Cushenberry does on the inside those two guys are or dominant players on the interior. Now, another player I thought was very impressive throughout the week was Temple's Matt Hennessy, who really jumped up the boards for the Dolphins and all scouts alike. There's a video on the thread on LockedOnDolphins.com that shows his easy glide feet, but also the symbiotic relationship between his feet and his hands, which allows him to maintain balance when he throws those punches and not get out over his skis. He was the anchor and leader of that Temple offensive line, which is more of a throwback program than most schools are in this day and age. My previous center number one, Nick Harris, had a difficult week, but I still think that his tape is the best of all draft-eligible centers. You can see his work in space is unmatched by the rest of the class. San Diego State, speaking about a leader in Matt Hennessy on Temple's offensive line, Keith Ishmael anchored that group for the last four years, and they were dubbed Stanford South because they are a run-heavy program. He had a good week of practices, which of course helps his draft stock in the process. And then John Simpson, the Clemson left tackle, a mountain, or left guard, I should say, a mountain of a guy, was blocking out the sun on Wednesday's practice. A great improvement from Tuesday when he had struggles with Kinlaw and Marlon Davidson, but a good bounce back and a strong finish to the week. To me, he's a day-one starter. On the defensive line, Javon Kinlaw, we all heard his name all week. He entered as the best player in Mobile, and he'll leave in the same fashion. He was just unblockable, except for those reps against Cushionberry. Marlon Davidson only practiced on Tuesday and left, just like Kinlaw did after Wednesday's practice, but he showcased violent hands, length, a get-off that could serve him well as a chess piece pass rusher in this defense, say that five times fast. He's strong enough to hold the point to two-gap and has an innate ability to stack and shed and play that point, and also can play multiple positions across the defensive line. Jason Strobridge from North Carolina. He played inside this year for the Tar Heels, but at 285, he might be a guy that can play your big heavy end and then condense inside in rush situations. He has those long arms and really good lateral agility to work inside on stunts and games. Bradley Anai, I think, is the best hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher in this game. His long arm was the best we saw all week, and he really proved to be the most consistent rusher throughout the week, and that should be no surprise because he has the best arsenal of rush moves that's out there. He is a super, super polished player. Back on the inside. Inside. Devon Hamilton of Ohio State reminds me of Danny Shelton. 330 pounds, but a quick first step. The ability to really collapse the pocket inside, play two gap to read and react, but also be an impact interior rusher. Big, big fan of his game. And just like that, we are at break number two before we get back in here and talk about the linebackers, defensive backs, and our first seven-round mock draft 1.0 here on Locked On Dolphins. But before that, are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call the outcome? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, the NBA, college hoops, and hockey, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. And if you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code on to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code on to take advantage of mybookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play. You win, you get paid. You can make an argument for a lot of players in this regard, but I will contest that no player helped his stock at the Senior Bowl better than Michigan linebacker slash edge Joshua Uche. And we talk about Anthony Campanelli, the potential linebackers coach from Michigan, making the jump to the Dolphins. And again, that connection between he and Uche, his position coach in college, now of course in the National Football League. But he was locking down everything in coverage and showed a twitched up rush package that was headlined by a wicked dip and rip move. He's a good fit in Miami's position defense playing multiple spots rushing and dropping into coverage Zach Bond fits that mold as well and he could be the third badger in this linebacker core he would be the best of the bunch he was an issue for almost every tackle he went up against with a terrific combination of speed and counter moves he's a polished rusher that can also go backwards and play coverage as well and so can Malik Harrison he picked off Jordan Love in Wednesday's team period a true thumper but features enough athletic ability to play on all three downs a candidate to rush from all six gaps on pass Passing downs as well. And so is Terrell Lewis, who is also a first off the bus type, the Alabama edge, a rocked up 260 pounds with the athletic profile to match, a former basketball player. Lewis is more athlete than pure rusher, but he spoke about his own versatility on the Move the Sticks podcast, referencing his ability to play stack linebacker in dime packages and run down the pipe and the zone coverage, rushing from a three-technique inside, but also playing outside. He's a good looking prospect for the Dolphins in the first or second round. Evan Weaver, the Cal linebacker, was the most consistent downhill run defender in team periods, which should be no surprise. That's who he was at Cal, but I still struggle to find a fit for him on this defense. I'm not in love with the defensive backs that are down in Mobile, although there were a few that I thought had good weeks. Darnay Holmes from UCLA had the most impressive week among them all. He got beat a few times, but he was always in position to make a play and competed from every single rep to every single drill, and it stood out above the rest. That type of mentality can really change the temperament in practice, in the locker room. It raises the bar for everybody else to play better, and Daniel Jeremiah described him as having a quote-unquote nickel temperament, which means he has a certain mindset, which is kind of crazy because the nickel spot is so hard to play and so chaotic, but he has the mindset to play that position. Troy Pride Jr. from Notre Dame was the most consistent outside corner. He is exceptional at recognizing tells in the receiver's movements, which lead him to the catch point. He anticipated routes all week and got his hands on footballs several times. Dane Jackson got beat several times, but I thought he competed as well. And due to some lacking long speed, got beat vertically, but he likes to get his hands on guys and fits that prototype for the long press cover corner that can play man that way. Terrell Burgess, the Utah safety, will make his money playing in the box, but his ability to flex out wide and cover is really going to intrigue the Dolphins. He looked good in one-on-one coverage drills, and so did Alohi Gilman, the other Notre Dame cornerback who impressed in similar fashion all week long. He was in hip pockets, staying in phase throughout the week. He is listed as a safety by the Fighting Irish. I got to get back to his tape and watch more and see how many spots he played in that defense. The recap from this week is that this game sets up nicely for Miami's biggest area of need. Outside of the quarterback position, I think Miami has to spend the most draft picks highly on the offensive line and defensive front seven to really get the trenches fortified to get your quarterback in that position and then you continue to develop receivers and defensive backs later in the rounds down the draft. The Senior bull had more than 90 players drafted last year. 49 of the top 100 picks came from Mobile and a handful of these guys in this class right here could be on the field immediately for Miami in 2020 and also serve as long-term pillars for the sustained success that Stephen Ross so Badly covets. So, we're going to cover the draft for the next couple of months here on the podcast and get you guys ready for the most important draft this franchise has had this century. Should be an exciting run up and free agency, of course. And I promise my first mock draft round, seven round mock draft 1.0 here on the podcast. I was going to go through and make the first round picks for every team, but we're out of time for that. So I'll just go over the 14 picks I made here for your Miami Dolphins coming up in April. And I want to go ahead and just make a couple of free agent acquisitions first before I do that. I do believe Miami will sign more than two players, but just to make things easy, I'm giving you Joe Tooney and Kyle Van Noy to help your left guard and linebacker situation. And again, I'm sure there'll be a safety, a corner, some more offensive linemen in that group. But for now. Tooney and Van Noy are the two pillars of free agency. And the first pick, the Dolphins trade up to number three with Detroit to go get Tua Tungavailoa. It's going to cost us next year's second round pick, and we're going to go from the 26th pick in the first round down to pick 35 with the Lions, a first and second round swap and next year's second round pick. That's the cost I'm going with to get Tua. Then we go AJ Epinesa, who has a surprise slide down to number 18 to give Miami its edge that can condense inside and play all across the defensive line to join up with Christian Wilkins and Devon Godshaw. Then, with that Lions pick in the second round, number 35, tackle Josh Jones from Houston. I know he probably doesn't slide this far, but I'm taking him anyway. Give me the left tackle right there. Then, the second, second round pick, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. I believe running backs will slide because of the depth of the class, and Dobbins falls to us in the second round at pick 39. Then, the third, second round pick, because of the trade back, Ashton Davis from Cal. There's your starting free safety next season. In the third round, center from Temple, Matt Hennessy to come in and compete with Daniel Kilgore. For that job in the fourth round, this is a compensatory pick: Joshua Uche from Michigan. We talked about him earlier in the Senior Bowl recap. Fifth round, I have four picks here. I don't know if this is right, but that's what I have: Jason Strobridge, the defensive lineman from North Carolina; tight end Stephen Sullivan from LSU; running back Joshua Kelly from UCLA; and wide receiver James Proche from SMU. Can you tell I'm watching the Senior Bowl? All of those guys were Senior Bowl participants. Then in the sixth round, left guard from Oregon, Shane Lemieux; cornerback Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh; and in the seventh. Seventh round, the last pick, Tyler Huntley, the quarterback from Utah. So Tua, A.J. Epinesa, Josh Jones, J.K. Dobbins, Ashton Davis, Matt Hennessy, Joshua Uche, Jason Strobridge, Steven Sullivan, Joshua Kelly, James Prochet, Shane Lemieux, Dane Jackson, and Tyler Huntley. There is my first official Dolphins seven-round mock draft. And again, on tomorrow's podcast, check that Sunday Nice podcast, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and the Fin It to Win It podcast will join me to talk Senior Bowl recap I promise you do not want to miss that podcast with he and I talking about these draft prospects but as for today's show and this week of shows that is going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com you guys have a great rest of your night we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.